change everything. <laughs> Not just some things, but you change everything. I'm thankful. God desires to change our lives. say he finds us, but actually it's us finding him. He doesn't leave us where he finds us or he starts working on us and transforming us and giving us a new heart and a new spirit and a new being. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Wow. Anybody else thankful for that? Thankful for what God does in our lives. The transforming power of the gospel. Amen. Thank you, praise team. You guys can be seated. I'm going to get going. I got 20 pages of notes, so I better get moving. Real quick, though, before I do that, uh, how many of you got one of these? Well, let me see your hand. Is there, is there anybody who didn't get one and you need one? John, grab one there to John, I think. You guys, take this. There's a couple prayers on the back you can pray there that'll help you uh, kind of step into warfare. But on the front is the declarations. And I, I want to encourage you that you just start speaking these by faith. And, you know, when I started this, I, we were supposed to have these last week, but uh, I didn't get that taken care of. And so here we are. But, uh, and they turned out way better than I thought they were going to. Anyway, you know, when I first started praying these, I brought these out probably about a month ago on a Wednesday night, and I just handed out a sheet of paper with these, and I've been praying this pretty much every day, and my, my first thought was it was for this church, this body, this local church and assembly, but as I've been praying it, I've expanded that, and I'm praying it over the church, the whole church over all the world. Amen. Because this is God's will for His church. And so, I want to encourage you, if you're not doing it yet, start. Just pray through these every day. I, I probably spend almost a half hour just going over these every day. Amen. Amen. It, it will help expand your prayer time if that's something you'd like. But it just helps expand your prayer life. So, make sure you get that. Put it in your Bible. Put it where you go to meet with God every day. Keep it right there with you where you can, uh, it's handy and you can just grab it up and, and go through that and start declaring this stuff over God's church. Amen. Also, remember this weekend, we're going to have uh, coming up next weekend, uh, missionary Mark Harris with us again and his wife from, from Japan. Amen. They were a huge blessing to us last time, but he's going to come Friday. He'll be here at uh, 6 o'clock to do a teaching on operating in the Spirit. So you want to be here for that? Amen, because we all need to be operating in the Spirit. And then Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, he's doing one for the children's ministry. So if you're in any part uh, in the children's ministry, either now or in the past, or you're going to be in the future, you want to make sure you're here for that. And then at 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon, he's going to come and do one on evangelism and outreach. Uh, so we all need to be at that one. Uh, so again, Friday night at 6 for Operation of the Spirit, Saturday morning at 9 for the children's ministry at 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon for outreach, and then he's going to be here with us on Sunday to minister also. So, so looking forward to that. I believe God's going to move, and he's going to impart things into us to help us fulfill his purpose and mission for this local church body. Amen. So put that on your calendars, and uh, make sure you're here. So we've been in this Family Matters uh, sermon series, and when I first thought of this sermon series, I thought it was going to be like one week, because I started it on Father's Day. I thought we'd do fathers this week, and then next week we'll do mothers, and then, you know, we'll do the kids, and, and we'll talk about finances, and we'll talk about all this stuff that pertains to the family, right? God's had a different plan, but... I do want to reiterate that everything we've been talking about 
has all to do with the family. Because everything he's showing us about the church, it all begins in your home. Right? We're only in here a couple hours a week. We only get together like this. It's easy to live for God here. It's easy to do all that you want to do for God. It's easy. It's not so easy always on a Monday morning or a Tuesday night or a Thursday afternoon. Amen? And it all begins in the home. So these lessons, these teachings, these uh, sermons I've been preaching, realize that I'm really talking to the family here. I'm talking to your family. And I'm talking to my family. Because we got to get it right there first and foremost. Amen? If you go to the book of Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, this is a very common setting of Scripture. About 300 and so years earlier, almost 400 years, I think it was, the children of Israel ended up in Egypt with Joseph. There was a famine in the land. They went to Egypt. Uh, they were blessed by Pharaoh. They were given the land to Goshen. Come on, the good land of Goshen. Amen. And they had favor with Pharaoh and the, and the people of Pharaoh because God used Joseph mightily. You may know the story. Uh, but it's been hundreds of years now. Generations have went by. There's new leaders. And those leaders don't like these Israelites, these Jews, because they're growing pretty fast. And they think, you know what? These guys can rise up one day and maybe take us over. So they begin to enslave them and turn them into their servants and their bondmen instead of just letting that favor that was upon them be there. And after so many years, they begin to cry out to God for God to deliver them. Moses, most of you know who he is. God calls Moses in the desert, sends him forth. And uh, this is what God tells him to tell Pharaoh. Exodus 8 and 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that we may go and serve. Amen. So I want to talk to you today on this thought. Let my people go. Let my people go. If you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, let's pray. Ask God to have his way with us one more. God, we invite you, God, to just fulfill your will. God, get me out of the way, God. I pray. God, that we don't look upon men, but we're hearing from you. God, let your word go forth and accomplish, God, what you've brought forth for it to do today in this place. God, in every life, you know where each and every one of us are. I pray you speak to us specifically, God. Give us clarity in our own lives. Reveal things to us that need to be revealed. And lift our faith and our expectation in you. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you, Lord, and we believe you're going to move and you're going to fulfill your will in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Between the close of Genesis and the opening of Exodus, it's a period of about 350 years. And it's here that we find the nation of Israel enslaved by a new dynasty of the Egyptian leaders. The favor that had been shown to Joseph and his family three centuries earlier is now gone. And now the Israelites are not royalty, but they are slaves. And they need deliverance because their lives are oppressed and they're being held captive. The word exodus means simply a way out. The book of Exodus is the book of redemption in the Old Testament. And it's the message of redemption by the blood of God for God's chosen people. It was the blood of a lamb that was applied to the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites that saved their children from death when the angel passed over their home that night. And I'm, I'm thankful for the blood, and I'm thankful for the deliverance that the blood brings into our lives. Not just from a lamb some thousands of years ago in the land of Egypt, but the blood of the lamb, hallelujah, that was shed upon a cross of Calvary for my sin, to bring redemption to me, to bring me out of bondage, and to bring me out of slavery, and show me a way out, amen? I'm thankful for the blood because today it's still all about deliverance. Hallelujah. Christianity is about deliverance. The church is about deliverance. Ministry is about deliverance. And the blood of Calvary is about deliverance. 
not just from physical oppression and slavery, slavery, but from spiritual deliverance and mental deliverance and emotional deliverance and physical deliverance. If you're here today and you're battling areas in your life, then I'm here to let you know that there is hope for you right now today. And that hope has a name and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. And he came with the express purpose of setting the captive free. Amen. So it don't matter where you find yourself today, there is hope because there is one who came to deliver you. God can and God will deliver you. It does not matter how bad it seems to you right now. God is able. Amen. It does not matter how far gone it may seem. God is able. It does not matter how lost you think you are. God is able to reach into your life and situation and pick you up right where you are at and call you out of darkness into his marvelous light and deliver you today. He can deliver you from your past, your present, and keep you delivered in the future, amen, because our God is able. All you have to do is respond to him today and respond to his word. He said, if you seek me, you shall find me. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, it shall be given. All you got to do is reach out for that God who is able to meet you right where you're at and do the work you need him to do in your life. He's able. God's message to the devil and our message to those bound in sin is still, let my people go. <laughs> God said to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. At that moment, Nineveh was not a great city. It was an exceeding wicked city. But God saw its potential in spite of its wickedness. People look at this city and the cities and towns across America and the world, and they think, how wicked are they? They're so very wicked. But what they truly are, what is in those cities is truly a bunch of people full of apostolics that are yet unborn. Uh, there's a bunch of potential out there in all of the cities of this world of apostolics that are just yet unborn. People, even you yourself, may look at you right now and where you have been and only see the mistakes you've made and committed in your life. But when God looks at you, He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees your potential. He sees what can come from your past. He sees what can come out of you because God is able to set his people free and to deliver them from the stains of their path and put them forth into the future and the promise that he has for them. In Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. The power was in the command. Revelation 22, 17 says, he says, let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Again, the power is in the command. Satan cannot stand against the power of the church's message of redemption. Uh, he cannot stand against the church's powerful message of redemption. Hell must get out of the way when the gospel's preached to any willing heart. If you want salvation, you can have salvation today. It's for whosoever will. You just have to come and get a hold of it. If you're born again of the water and spirit, yet you're bound up and in captivity, if you want deliverance, you can have deliverance today from every ungodly influence in your life. Jesus has already paid for it. The preaching of the gospel can and and will loose the shackles of sin and evil. The story of Exodus is repeated thousands of times every day and every soul that finds deliverance from a sinful world. But note these two things about Exodus. It took both a man and it took a message. It took a man and it took a message. Israel would have had no hope and they would have remained in slavery except for a God-called man named Moses who was willing to go. If Moses would have never went to them, they would have remained in slavery. But Moses went. It wasn't by Moses' ability or personality that Israel was delivered. It was the anointing of God that rested upon that man. God did the work, but he chose to do it through a man. Amen. And you need to hear me, church. This world's not, not going to find redemption without a people willing to take the anointing of God that's been placed upon them and go out into the world and tell them the, the hope of redemption that's there for them. The world needs a people, a church that's anointed of God to go and call out to them and say, let my people go. God still uses people, and the world needs a church that will go. 
God used a man, and he used a message. Exodus, the book of redemption, is one half law. (laughs) You got redemption, law. The giving of the law in the last half of the book, chapters 19 through 40, teaches us that the redeemed must do the will of the Redeemer. The redeemed must consecrate themselves to his service and submit everything, every every area of their life to his control. Otherwise, it's not redemption. You may think it is. A lot of people do. And you may even convince yourself that it is, but it's not. (laughs) If I've been redeemed, then I am no longer my own, but I am the ones that redeemed me. God is not content to just be our Savior. He wants to be our Lord, our Lord and our Savior. We love the Savior part. We have to learn to love the Lord part. That means he has the right to tell me how to live my life. And then I have to submit to that. If I'm not willing to do that, then I'm declaring not that Jesus is my Lord, but that Chris is my Lord. Chris is the one that's going to dictate how this life is lived. I have to submit to the will of my Redeemer. You have to submit to the will of your Redeemer. It took both a man and a message. Exodus begins by telling how God came down in grace to deliver an enslaved people, and it ends by declaring how God came down in glory to dwell in the midst of the redeemed people. Moses' message was a message of complete deliverance from Egypt. And our message today has to be the same. Our message today is the same. Complete deliverance from Egypt. Not partial deliverance, not kind of delivered, but complete deliverance from Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world in Scripture. It represents the world and its kingdom. The gospel of Jesus is all about getting yourself out of Egypt, keeping yourself out of Egypt, and keeping Egypt out of you. But Pharaoh, who is a type of the devil, does not relinquish his hold without resistance. Just as it was that way for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, it's that way for us today as we come out of the world. The enemy does not just walk away and willingly willingly give his slaves away to another. The showdown between Pharaoh and Jehovah God came during the ten plagues. The total number of Egyptian gods is uncertain, but most lists include at least 80 different gods that they worshipped. Most living creatures and many inanimate objects were considered to be the embodiment, embodiment of some deity. Even Pharaoh himself was considered to be a god. So the plagues were more than just the demonstrations of God's power in this world. Each one was a judgment upon the idolatrous worship of a pagan Egyptian uh, idol. They were all to go against and show who really was the God of all heaven and earth. During this confrontation, Pharaoh acted like many people do today. While he was feeling the effects of the plague, he would do anything or say anything just to get rid of the trouble. Amen. You know what I mean? Does that sound a little familiar? Have you ever been there? Oh, God, I got all this stuff in my life. Oh, God, if you would just move in this situation, Lord God, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do whatever you ask me to. And then God removes that situation out of your life. And, uh, you know, well, maybe I'll just do some of this now. Life's okay. But as soon as God removed it from Pharaoh, he would harden his heart. He would go back to the same attitude and same ways. See, Pharaoh mistook God's mercy for weakness. And today we mistake God's mercy for his acceptance. We think that just because we aren't being struck by plagues, then God's okay with our life and our lifestyle. Amen. When it very well just may be that it's just his mercy on your life and not his acceptance of your life. Moses' message was that God would only be patient for a short length of time, and that's got to be our message today. We don't know how much time we got. The church must be kind to everyone, but we still must preach the absolute message of the gospel to this world, hallelujah, without uh, any, uh, what do you call it? Apology, we got to preach the gospel and we got to preach the whole truth and all the truth. 
Don't mistake kindness for compromise or mercy for weakness and acceptance. Because God, he is a God of absolutes. He does not bend or change his precepts and principles for anything or anyone. He is God and none of us are. He dictates how things are to be, and he doesn't seek my counsel on that. He is the one who decides how things are going to be and what his people are to do. And so God, you know, this is important to remember because God wanted his people to travel three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to him there. God not only wanted their worship, but he wanted their worship in a specific way in a specific place. It wasn't, they couldn't just do any old worship they wanted to do. There was a specific mandate to how God wanted them to worship. So now Pharaoh knew that if the Israelites ever got out from under his control, they would never willingly come back. So he offered four compromises to the message of Moses. Four compromises. Any one of them would have been enough to short-circuit God's plan, God's plan for Israel. And the devil offers the same four, same four subtle suggestions to each and every one of us today. And any one of them is enough to short-circuit God's plan for our life. So there's four compromises. Compromise number one is just stay in Egypt. Exodus 8.25, and Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron, and he said, Go ye sacrifice to your God in the land. You can go sacrifice to your God, but do it in the land, this land. You guys can go worship, but just stay in the land of Egypt while you do it. Pharaoh knew that he, he still had complete control of Israel as long as they tried to serve God inside of Egypt. Just like the enemy knows that he still has you as long as he can keep your worship contained inside the land. As long as you stay in the world, the enemy will let you worship your God all you want. Because he knows, just as Pharaoh knew, that the Israelites would never be free of Egypt until they crossed through the waters of the Red Sea and were led to the promised land by the pillar of cloud and fire. You can't dwell in Egypt and the promised land. You can't dwell in both. You can only dwell in one, and you have to choose if you're going to stay or are you going to go. Those three days and worship God in the manner he says you are to worship him. Or are you just going to let Pharaoh dictate how your worship's going to be conducted? There's something about three days. Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 27, 40, And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from that cross. Mark 8, 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, he will rise again. Amen. God wanted them to travel a three days journey all the way to the resurrection. Amen. He wasn't okay with them just going part way, but they had to get to the resurrection. We need to go all the way to a Holy Ghost experience in our lives. Faith is wonderful, and many have it. Prayer is powerful, and many do it. Repentance is incredible, but the devil doesn't care how much you believe, how much you're praying, and how much repenting you do, as long as you don't leave Egypt. If Israel had chosen to worship in the land, they would have offered worship as an unseparated people, still in bondage, and, and that would not have been acceptable to their God. See, repentance turns your heart towards Christ. But it's water baptism in Jesus' name that puts you in Christ. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost that puts Christ in you. It's repentance, baptism, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't just stop at one or two. You've got to get all three of them. You can't just do part of it. You've got to follow all three steps. You have to get all the way to the resurrection. On the day of Pentecost when the New Testament church was first born, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Hallelujah. And Peter stood up and he began to preach to the, to the Jews there that had just uh, uh, crucified their Messiah. And they were pricked in their hearts. Uh, Acts 2.37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we got to do about this? My heart's smote. I understand. I see it. My heart smoked. What do I got to do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. 
to every one of them, repent. But he didn't stop there. And he didn't say repent and then maybe do this or that. No, he said repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. And. <laughs> it didn't stop there. And. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. you got to do all three of them, amen, to get to the other side and to get into the promised land. When the waters of the Red Sea closed behind them and the pillar of cloud and fire led them away, Pharaoh could no longer touch them. Pharaoh no longer had any ability to control their lives, to hold them bound, or to keep them. They had been set free. And when you're baptized and receive the Holy Ghost, the devil no longer has any legal right to touch you in this world because you've been redeemed and you've went through the water and that curse of sin has been washed off of you. And now you walk in the authority and the power of the name of Jesus Christ and the authority and the power of the Holy Ghost. And the only way the devil has any right in your life is if you give it back to him. The devil ain't making you do nothing. You're letting him do it. He has no authority to make you do anything. He can't even possess you. You're already full. If you got the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues, you're already full. He can't possess you. He might attach to you, but he can't possess you. You're already possessed. Okay, that's a whole other Bible study. Compromise number one, stay in the land. Compromise number two, stay close to Egypt. Exodus 8, 28, and Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Entreat the Lord for me is what he's saying. Get, get God off my back. I'll, I'll let you go a little bit. Just don't go very far away. When Pharaoh saw that Moses and Aaron Aaron were set on leaving Egypt. He suggested another compromise. Leave, but just stay close to Egypt. He knew that if the Israelites were not far away, he would still be able to recapture them easily. The devil never gives up. He sees every salvation as a temporary victory. And he never stops trying to get us back. And he knows that if he can keep us close to the world, in our interests, in our desires, he can still have great influence on us. This is one of the main problems of the modern apostolic. Too many of us are way too comfortable staying close to the world. We allow the world into our homes, into our vehicles, into our phones and our computers. We fill our time being entertained by the world. We spend a lot of money so we can entertain ourselves and our families with the world. Through movies and video games and sporting events and music, the church is too comfortable with the world and the devil loves it. Because he knows that as long as you're comfortable hanging out close to the world, it's not going to be too hard to get you back into Egypt. I know we don't want to hear that, but that's what he's telling us. 1 John 2.15 says, love not the world. That word love means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly, to be well pleased with, to be contented at or with. So, he says, don't welcome the world. Don't entertain the world. Don't be fond of the world. Don't love the world dearly. Don't be well pleased with the world. And don't be content with the world. Because he says, neither the things that are, or neither the things that are in the world. You can't, you can't have any of that stuff in your life. If, if, he says, if any man loved the world, if any man welcomes the world, if any man entertains the world, if any man's fond of the world, if anyone dearly loves the world, if they're well pleased with the world, if they're content with the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. There's not really any way to get around that. I'm not supposed to love this world. I'm not supposed to entertain the world. I'm not supposed to let the world entertain me. I'm not supposed to do what the world does. I'm not. God called us to be different. He called us out from the world. We're not supposed to go back into the world. We're not supposed to take parts of the world with us and let them be in our homes and in our children's lives and all that. Israel's earthly pilgrimage from Egypt to the promised land was a picture of a much greater spiritual journey. It was the picture of the New Testament church. 
coming out of the world, turning away from it, being cleaned of it through the water, and then being given the power and the authority to subdue it and put it behind them forever. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They had their eyes set on the promise. Their eyes weren't set on the world. Their eyes weren't even set on themselves. It was set on the promise that was afar off to them. And they were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Not citizens of the world. Loving its things and its kind and and being partakers of it. They didn't want anything to do with the world. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. We got to get our eyes off this world. We got to get our affections off this world and turn them to Jesus and the hope that He's called us to. Amen. There's another world that's coming. Amen. We got to get our eyes on that world and keep them fixed on that world. He says, and truly, if they had been mindful, if their thoughts had went back, if they'd been looking back, if they'd been messing with, allowing it to influence their lives, if their their minds had, had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's why the devil don't care if you just go out a little bit, but you just hang on to some things. Because he knows you're looking at the world, and it just might draw you back because you keep looking at it. Amen. He says, but now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly, hallelujah. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. The devil don't care how much you worship and pray and give and serve as long as he can keep you close to the world. As long as he can keep you looking back at the world and pondering it and looking at it to fill something in you and entertain you and influence you, because then he knows he can still draw you back. And keep a bit of that longing in you that could draw you out of where God is taking you and keep you from the promised land. But we cannot, church, we cannot stay in in close proximity to the world. I feel God more and more and more just crying out to us, what are you doing? Why, 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 why are you entertaining this world? Why are you being entertained by the world? So the enemy will try to keep you in the land. If that doesn't work, he'll try to keep you close to the land. And then compromise number three, don't take your family. Exodus 10, 11. He said, not not so. Go now ye that are men. Not all of you, just the men. You go and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh knew that if the men didn't take their families, there'd be a strong pull for them to come back to Egypt. God Almighty, men, men, men. If there's a day and an hour that we must stand for God and lead our families out of Egypt and the world, it's today. If there's a day that we can't compromise ourselves and our families, it is right now. Because the enemy will let you live for God if you leave your family behind. He'll let you go and worship if you aren't willing to fight for and bring your family along with you. If you aren't willing to do the work to be an example to your children and do the hard work of being a father and a mentor to those coming behind you. And that's not just to the fathers, that's to all of us adults. That's to all of us. We've got to mentor and take the time to invest in the next generation of apostolic young people and pour into their lives and show them what it means to live this life for God. The devil says if you're going to be an apostolic, keep it to yourself. He doesn't want any of us to take the next generation with us out of Egypt because he knows that would stop the Pentecostal movement cold. He knows that if he can keep us from doing the work of bringing our young along, then it won't be too far off before this thing dies. It only takes two generations of compromise before the, fir- before the third is lost. We see that in the Bible with the first ones that actually entered the promised land with Joshua after leaving Egypt. It only took three generations for the whole nation to backslide. Three generations of compromise 
You better be careful what you're willing to compromise in your homes and in your life because the next generation seeing you and they're watching you and they will do what you allow in your life and they'll probably take it further and in their kids the total compromise will have happened and that generation will be right back in Egypt where the world and God tried to or where God tried to pull them out of it come on mom and dad you got to hear what I'm saying come on elder and and that elder that's us you know, when we hear that word, we think of people that are much older than us. No, 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 no. We're a very young people. It's not about your age. It's not even about how long you've been in the body. It's about how spiritually mature you are. Amen. Because there's people probably in this room that haven't been in church very long, and they're more mature than people that have been around for a long time. We're the elders. Some of you, you guys are the elders. There's people behind you that you need to make sure that you're standing up for. The, don't worry about the age when you hear that word. You're the elders. We're the elders. You guys, we are the elders of this church. We don't have a ton of great-haired people that have been around in Pentecost for the last 50 years in here. We are the elders. We have to carry this. We have to take it on. Don't you compromise with this world because the next generation's watching you. If you've compromised in any way, just repent. Let God speak to you. Just let Him speak to your heart. Repent and turn away from it because the next generation's watching you. And they need to see an example of a people and a church that is sold out to God and His precepts and His ways, not compromised and living in the world all throughout the week and then stepping into the house of God and worshiping Him like everything is good. No wonder so many of our kids are confused. There's many things that I'd go back and I'd do over if I could. Things that I allowed in my home before my son. Harmless little things, really. You know, they weren't that bad. It was just a worldly movie here. And a worldly book there. They weren't Stephen King books or anything. It wasn't anything crazy. They weren't sexually graphic movies or anything. No, nah, it wasn't that bad. Just some Star Wars and stuff like that. Some Marvel movies. Some Percy Jackson stuff. Not that bad. You know, son, it's okay to dabble in that part of the world. But you can't wear shorts to swim meet or a track meet. And you can't look and dress like and think like what those movies portray. You have to look and think and act like this. You can't do those worldly activities and participate in those things of the world. But these ones, well, again, these aren't that bad. So you can be entertained by them. Just don't be part of them. We're to be holy and separated and set apart from the world. And I believe that wholeheartedly. But are we telling our kids, unless it's, well, not that bad. No wonder our children have such a hard time with stuff. And so many of them backslide away because they see us compromising things in our own lives all the time. And so why can't they? And when they get older, they do. And I want to tell you, I'm... I'm sorry for every compromise that I ever made. And I'm sorry if I've influenced any of you or your children in any way because of the compromises I made have made in my own life. Of my entertaining myself with the world through movies and sports and the gods of this world. I've, I've repented many times over the last months in tears and in anguish. And I, and I ask you to forgive me, but I vow to God and to each of you, I will not compromise anymore. Hallelujah. If God shows me things in my life going forward that He wants me to start or stop doing, and undoubtedly He will, I will obey to Him. And I will submit to Him. And I will put it under Him every area of my life because I'm not willing to start the process or continue the process of compromise in my life that will lead to the next generation falling. I will not be part of that. And I pray that God's convicting you and showing you any compromise in your lives and that He gives you the strength to crucify that thing and move on.
because our children are watching us. Not just our children, the world's even watching us. And they see, but what are they seeing? Our young people stand in a crucial place. We must keep one hand on the past and one hand on the future. Every time there was a major progress made in the early church in the book of Acts, it necessitated a change in their method. But they never changed their message. To change a method doesn't necessarily mean eliminating the old ways, but rather incorporating the old within the new. I want you to look at something here real quick. Two things that Israel did, two contrasting things when they left Egypt for good. Moses took with him the bones of Joseph. Those bones were the symbol of Israel's history, their heritage, who they had been. But Israel also plundered the Egyptians when they left. They used the invention of the, Egypts, uh, the Egyptians to do the will of God. They didn't take the world on. That's not what he's saying. No, they used what the Egyptians used for God's glory. And they used it to promote the kingdom. They kept their heritage, but they were also willing to use what was new. We've got we've to be open to our young people. They're going to come to us with ideas that... We're like, ah, man, we never did that. That's all right. Let God lead us. Let God lead them and direct them and what, what he wants to do with them. We're not going to compromise the message, amen. We're not going to compromise truth. We're not doing that. But there may be methods yet that we don't even know of. Who would have ever thought five years ago almost every church in America would be on Facebook? I didn't, wouldn't have thought that. Who knows what God's going to use these guys to do? what doors he's going to open to them, what vision he's going to give them. we got to be willing to walk with them through that and help them in that. Amen. Don't leave the next generation in Egypt. Music, if you'd come. So compromise number four. Don't take your property. Exodus 10, 24, and Pharaoh called unto Moses, and he said, Go ye, serve the Lord. All of you guys just go. I'm done. The Lord's wrecking this place. Go. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones even go with you. Just leave behind your stuff. Pharaoh's last ditch attempt to hinder Israel was to suggest that they leave some of their property behind. Again, he knew this would create a strong pull for them to return to Egypt. One thing that our generation does not do well is sacrifice. Our possessions and our positions, they mean too much to us. God's letting us know we don't need more sermons. We don't need better sermons. We don't need more positions. We don't need more... Everybody's like, well, what am I called to do? I'll tell you what you're called to do. You're called to be a Christian. You're called to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, thy strength, thy soul, thy strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To go into the world, into the hedges and the highways and the byways and reach the lost and share the hope of Jesus with them. That's what you're called to do. Now, you might do that as a piano player or as a pastor or a missionary or a whatever. Quit seeking after that. God's not looking for you just to fill a role. He's looking for you to be a Christian. He's looking for you to be his church. We got sermons. We got musicians. We got all this great stuff that God's blessed us with, and I'm thankful for it, and I'm glad we do it, and I, I love it. But really, he just wants us to be Christians, fully, fully, completely, completely Christians. We need people who will consecrate to the Lord everything that he's given them. Everything. All your possessions. Your own breath. Your own life. If you could just stand with me. The devil would love for all of us to just stay in the world or even for us to allow the world to remain in us. He's even okay if we just go off in the distance a bit to a place where we can worship but still see the world and all that's going on in the world. 
keep us looking back to the world and admiring it every now and then so that we let the next generation know that that's okay. God said to go three days, but it's okay. You don't really have to do all of that. You don't have to do all of that. We'll go over here and just make some compromises. Hopefully you guys won't find yourself one day making the choice to go back to Egypt. These are just some compromises, nothing too great. It'll be okay. You just wait and see. I mean, I left some things in Egypt anyway, my home, all my toys, my livelihood, my time, my treasures. I spent a lot of time and worked many hours for all that stuff. I can't just leave it all behind. I can't just sacrifice all of that. I can't give my time to teach a Bible study, to go visit the hurting, to go clean the church building, to serve the kingdom of God, to get up early to pray. talk about my money, like I should pay my tithes, I should give my money away, that money costs me a lot of time and energy, and it'll cost me a lot of time and energy to replace it, time and energy that I use to pursue the things that bring me pleasure and joy right now in this life, not sure I'm willing to give all that up to maybe help a person get better in this life and even possibly help walk with them all the way to eternity. I mean, people are tough, right? People are messy. Now, cost me my time and my energy and my money. They cost me all this stuff. It's much easier to just hang out in Egypt a bit. Just right here on the outskirts, though. And those that look up to me, the ones that I know about and the ones that I don't know about, well, they won't think too much of that. They'll understand one day about the comfort and pool of Egypt. I'm sure they won't go back there because I'll tell them not to. I'll make sure that I tell them that Egypt is a bad place and not to go there. I just, I'll just let them know it's okay right here, just not quite all the way in there. Make sure they see and understand that they have to build their kingdom here and take care of themselves and their families first because that's what truly matters in this life taking care of me and mine first and foremost and all the while Pharaoh is watching with pleasure as he holds you captive and God is crying out through a man with a message and he's saying let my people go that is not my will let my people go Pharaoh you hear me let my people go they're not going to compromise what I'm telling them to do and they're not going to be able to compromise any of my message because I'm telling them let my people go it doesn't matter how much hold he has had on you God is saying let my people go it does not matter where you find yourself today God is saying let my people go it does not matter how much the world has wrapped you up and you're hanging on to it God is saying let my people go Revelation 3 1 to the angel the divine messenger that's to the pastor of the church that's what every theologian says to the angel, the divine messenger of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a name and a reputation, a reputation that you are alive. But in reality, you are dead. Wake up and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die. For I have not found any of your deeds completed in my sight, in the sight of my God, or meeting his requirements. So remember and take to heart the lessons you've received and heard. There's many of us that have heard this message over and over and over for years, and yet we've still compromised. He says, keep and obey them and repent. Change your sinful way of thinking and demonstrate your repentance with new behavior that proves a conscious decision to turn away from sin. So then if you do not wake up, I will come as a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. 
but you still have a few but you still have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes that has contaminated their character and their personal integrity with sin and they will walk with me dressed in white because they are worthy and they are righteous he who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the son of God will, will accordingly be dressed in white clothing and I will never cry out his name from the book of life that statement right there struck me so hard because it also makes it open that there are people that he will possibly blot their names out of the book of life. He said, he who overcomes the world, then I will never blot their name out of the book of life. And I will confess and I will openly, openly acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels saying that he is one of mine. He who has an ear. He who has an ear, let him hear and heed what the Spirit says to the churches. My God, God is telling us that, he, that he's pulling us out of Egypt, amen. And he's not going to allow us to just compromise that calling in our lives with this world and with our flesh and with our own desires and with the pull of the world. But he's saying, let my people go. speaking to you. There's probably things he showed you through this message if there's things in your life that have been compromised. If there's areas in your life where you're staying in the land or you're staying next to the land or you're, you're being a bad example or whatever. Hallelujah to the next generation. There's probably things that he showed you as this message has went on in the name of Jesus. Why would you just let that continue in your life? I pray right now that God gives you faith and strength to step out before God to come before him. I'm going to open these altars up. Why don't you come and pray? Amen. Maybe you don't even have anything going on. Maybe you just need to come and reconfirm some things with God that I'm not compromising and I'm not going back and I'm not going to allow the world to have any influence in my life. Come on, somebody. Ah, my God, my God, my God. Some of you are bound up in the spirit in your own homes. I know you are. Amen. And a lot of it's because you've opened the doors to the world and the influence of the enemy into your home and into your life and into your spirit. Good. And I messed up. 
I know he did. And I've repented of that. And I need to ask you to forgive me of that. Amen. But let me tell you something. When I did that, man, my God, my God, I can't even explain to you my spiritual walk with God anymore. My prayer life is bonkers. I hear from God like I never heard from Him. Why? Because I ain't letting this world influence my thinking and my heart and my spirit. Now I'm open to what God wants to say and the enemy's not able to speak into my life through the things of this world. Amen. Look, God wants to set you free. Hey, I called out last week and I told you God said that if you're willing to take the things of the world and get them out of your life, not just fast them for 28 days, but cut them off and kick them out of your life. You're not going to go back to them in 28 days. And he said, I will come in and I will heal your land and I will set you free and I will lift you up. Amen. That's what God wants to do in your life. But you got to be willing. You got to be willing to go on that journey. You got to be willing to walk away. You got to be willing to leave it all behind. Amen. story of redemption. And in redemption there's freedom. And in redemption there's peace. It's not bondage. It's not cruelty. It's peace and it's freedom. Hallelujah. Nobody can make you make that journey though. But it's your calling to you. It's crying saying let my people go you hear me devil let my people go you hear me flesh let my people go you hear me pharaoh let my people go let my people go oh jesus i don't know if you guys are getting this i don't know i don't know hallelujah hallelujah i feel like there's all kinds of resistance in here right now and that might just be i don't know i just God's trying to break you free from something like God. Amen. Get out of your flesh right now. Put down your pride and put down your ego and humble yourself in the sight of God and let it touch you and to renew a right spirit and a right heart in you. My God, to set you free from the bondage of the enemy that's in your home and in your family. My God, to walk in that freedom. Let me stay forward.
this morning was that you guys would not look at me as a man, but you would hear what I was saying. I know I'm hearing from God. because we do this, 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 and this. Yet we compromise on these other things in our life and we think we're just okay because they're not bad. They're not like, you know, I'm not fornicating. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not killing people. I'm not smoking meth. I'm not doing this or that or that or the other. But yet I play with and I entertain entertaining myself and I welcome in my home the world in so many different ways. Conversations I have with my co-workers that I'm okay just listening to you and being part of. Conversations I have with my family. The shows I watch and the YouTube videos and all this stuff that we just ingest. I pray. Well, I know some of you have been on Facebook this week. I, I want to encourage any of you that have that you stop because I asked you to do that. Not as a man, but as your pastor. Now, you go the 28 days and you decide what you're going to do after that. Well, you can decide anyway. I'm not like mad at you or anything, of course. That's between you and God. I've heard clearly that God was asking us to stop doing that. All forms of evil. Not just for 28 days, but stop it. So I'm going to encourage you again. Stop it. Stop it. It's kind of interesting to me. That you might not think of it this way, but it's only been seven days. Your light shine for the church, God. I pray that you use us this week. 